The Mac Observer's Mac Geekab episode 200 for Thursday, July 24th, 2014. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geekab. The show where we come to you with your questions, with your tips next week, with your cool stuff found, we answer your questions. We share your tips and next week we'll share your cool stuff found as as well as some of the stuff we've found. And the goal is together to all learn at least four new things about the Mac, Apple technology, all of that good stuff. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. If you uh, go create a site with Squarespace and tweet about it with Squarespace shout out as your hashtag, we'll retweet it too and tell everybody to come visit you. This episode is also sponsored by the great folks at Drobo, Drobo drobo.com, D-R-O-B-O.com. Coupon code MGG gets you 50 bucks off of any Drobo unit, including the Gen 3 Drobo that uh, retails for three forty nine, So you can get it for less than 300 bucks with our coupon code here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Um, Hi, John. Dave, what, ep- what episode is this again? Uh, it's episode 512 in decimal. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. And in, in other units, what, what, what could it be? Well, in hexadecimal, it's 200. Which is what I did at the beginning of the show. Uh, in binary, uh, it's one and a lot of zeros, and I can't remember exactly right. how many. <laughs> uh, but yes, it okay. is only one one in, in binary, just lots of zeros after it. So yeah, so I want to get that clear. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so 200 in hex. Well, because... do we call it 200? I, I forget pr- hex pronunciation, which is why I, um... I said it the way I did. Uh I, I believe I, the pronunciation is the same because they are normal. Uh, you, you just got to make sure to say either base 16 or hexadecimal. Right, right. That's right. Then that, yes. that sets the, uh, you know, the value of each, each digit. Each, and right. hexadecimal, of course, is two to the fourth, two, four, eight, 16, right? And things that are digital, we love to put in powers of two, whether it be two to the zero, two to the one, two to the two, but because binary is what computers are all about. So. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Des Pravda, as they say in Russia. What? I think that's what his true is. I get, you know, I never, I'm not going to tell you where that came from. It's an old Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here we are. Um, yeah, you know what? We're, I have no idea where this is going to go. This show today. It's a little crazy. Uh, it's a Thursday afternoon. It's been a crazy week for me. I'm leaving in the morning. I'm not yet packed. Um, and uh, the Hamilton family uh, band tour. Well, this is actually the uh, tomorrow morning. Lisa and I leave just the two of us. Well, actually, we leave with with our our daughter too. our son's already at sleepaway camp for another three weeks. Uh, but our daughter uh, will come with us for the first half of the journey and we will drop her off uh, with some relatives uh, halfway to where we're going. We're going to. Uh, some Lisa and then are, Lisa and I are then going on some some uh, I, I, I say it's a fishing trip with a PH at the beginning. And no, we're not out to try and get your credit card numbers. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to see four band, four shows by uh, 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 the band Fish and also just have some R&R kind of around that. Sure. So we're spending the first couple of days in Columbia, Maryland. And then from there, we will migrate 
uh, a little further south and east to Portsmouth, Virginia. Actually, I think we're staying across the the Elizabeth River in Norfolk, Virginia. Ooh, yeah, Portsmouth, Virginia, not Portsmouth, <laughs> New Hampshire. Maine. No, New Hampshire. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, right, right. No, so that's uh, that's about that's the, the, I think the first first one's about eight hours from home, and then Portsmouth, Virginia, coming back from there will be about a ten hour ride home. But uh, but that's what we're doing. Sweet. So. Uh, yeah, I think one of our uh, former colleagues is down in Maryland. You yeah. Uh, look him up there. And also Maryland, uh, based on what I know, uh, you can probably get some good uh, crab cakes there, right? I no, believe we could get, get good crab here, cakes. But, right. Yes. Yes. That's, that's right. That's, that's a thing. That's their there. deal down there. Yeah, it's a thing. So we're looking forward to it. And uh, and so that's why we're doing the show today. Uh, but, you know, John, um, an hour ago, well, maybe an hour and a half ago, but an hour before we synced up, uh, Jeff Gamut was having some Internet problems. And so uh, he couldn't host the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast today, which he usually does. And so Brian uh, Chaffin, Kelly Gamont, and I did it. And I, I did the recording on this end because, you know, I'm all set up here. It's easy. And so I did it. No problem. Right. Recorded the show. We did it. We'll probably push the file out. Brian pushed out the article or Jeff put it, pushed out the article or whichever it was. And uh, all was good. And this was like 2.15. You and I were going to meet at 3 Eastern. And... I thought, you know, I should reboot this machine because, you know, we've had some weird issues and, and with the timing and the USB and all that. It's, it's helpful to reboot. So I rebooted and the machine wouldn't come up. It would get to the Apple logo and the little spinny geary geary thing. And that was the end of it. So I booted in verbose mode by holding down command V uh, to see what was going on. Uh, because when that thing's spinning, it usually means that there's an error message on the screen or something that you can't see. And there was no error message, uh, but it, it didn't. Uh, so command V gets rid of that, 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 that gray screen and lets you see what's behind it. Uh, you have to reboot with command V. You can't just cut, toggle it on and off. So I did that and it came back up uh, to that same point and then just sat, there was nothing happening. So I went into single user mode to, uh, to do a file system check and FSCK wouldn't even repair the disk. So this was a perfectly working machine. I literally had used it a second prior to restarting it, and then it wouldn't start back up. And I'm thinking, crap, I, now I have 40 minutes until you and I are supposed to meet here, John. But thankfully, uh, I had this uh, Samsung drive. You know, I, I'd, I'd have the SanDisk SSD inside here. I have the Samsung drive that I was using and testing uh, connected via USB, but I had cloned to it maybe two weeks ago. When I, when I talked about it, I thought, well, okay, you know, here we go. So I booted from the, the USB clone and I logged and, and then I thought, oh, wait, I can be smart about this. Uh, I logged into my test user account. I didn't want to muck with logging into my real user account here um, for, because I knew I was going to clone back to this. And I figured the less I mess with it, the better, the easier that cloning operation is going to go. So I logged into the test account. And launched Carbon Copy Cloner, and immediately the Finder came up and said, "We can read the disk that's in the, the you know, the the, the 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 standard boot disk. We can read it, but we can't write to it. So you better get it, get your data off it right away." Like, okay, great, no problem. So I launched Carbon Copy Cloner. I told it clone from the uh, boot disk from the from the internal disk to the USB disk, and it it didn't yell at me. It, it told me it wasn't going to clone any system stuff because the uh the the disk that i was clone i was cloning to my boot drive which is a little non-standard right normally you'd boot from a drive and clone somewhere else but 
I, you know, this was not a standard scenario. Uh, so uh, I told it to do that. It took, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes to go through and parse all the files and then, and then copy the ones that had changed. And then I booted up from this drive over USB again uh, and logged into my account and everything worked. It took a little while as, as, as folks in the pre-show saw, it took a little while for Dropbox to sync up and, you know, all those things that kind of happen uh, uh, building spotlight cache, which I think is still going on in the background, which I don't really like, but it, it, you know, here we are. And I, then I launched drive genius. I'd launched disk utility to see if it would repair the drive and it wouldn't. I launched drive genius to see if it would repair. It wouldn't. I asked drive genius to do a rebuild on the file structure and it wouldn't. So mm-hmm. I'm, and I had had, I had had this problem with this SanDisk drive, um, a couple of weeks ago, which was the reason that I brought this, this new, I wanted to test the Samsung drive anyway. Uh, but the, the reason I, the way I tested it was I brought it up. I cloned the SanDisk drive to it and reformatted the SanDisk drive. And so I've already been through this once with this SanDisk drive. So maybe I, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's one drive. I, I'm not going to fault SanDisk for making uh, uh, bad drives in general, but this one in particular has now failed twice um, in this machine. So, uh, once I put the, the Samsung drive inside this machine, which I will, uh, we'll, we'll see how it does. And then we'll know whether my issue is the drive or is the machine, right? Cause it's possible that there's some motherboard issue or cabling issue or whatever. So yeah, so, oh, that's where I'm, I'm living right now. Okay. Because I'm, I want to be careful about pointing at, you know, any particular drive mechanism, SSD or otherwise as being the cause of the problem since right you know you're, you're kind of futzing around with things and kind of you know messing around where you shouldn't be so yeah um, yeah exactly go blaming the well no i'm not blaming i i mean it, i'm not blaming the, and that's that's what i was saying is i i don't yet know whether i can point my finger at the sandisk drive or or something else we'll know yeah. once we'll know once i have a month or two and in then, with the the, the sure, samsung sure. drive you know and i'll test the sandisk drive elsewhere and 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 maybe then it'll be obvious that there's a problem with it or maybe not you know, yeah. so I, guess I, I would agree that, you know, the, the, the degree of data integrity that you have on an SSD is, if not equal, better than that on a, a spindle drive. Right. 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 I'm, I'm cautious about that because memory cells can go bad, as can uh, the physical media on a rotational drive. Sure. Sure. And uh, the drive should be able to deal with that. So, yeah, so I'm uh, this, I, this SanDisk drive. Like we're leaning towards it maybe being drive corruption. And, and it sounds like the, that remains to be seen. It's certainly possible, but sure. it, it seems to be kind of unlikely. The, okay. the, well, maybe the this SanDisk drive. Well, corruption in-, in that the data it doesn't matter. The media type is that the data is somehow confused which is why you know all these repair right. operations failed they're like right. no things are too screwed up i, I i'm not even going to try this dude. yeah yeah <laughs> but that, but the fact that it's the second time this exact same issue has happened in three weeks tells me i have some kind of hardware problem now whether my hardware problem is a bad cable a bad controller or a bad drive we're going to narrow down because that's what we do yeah but this, you know, the part of why I'm leaning, part of why I'm leaning. Unusual. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you now. Well, I mean, part of it happened twice with the same drive. Yeah. Sure, part of why I'm leaning towards it being the drive is that's an easy fix for me because I have uh, extra drives to put in and, and cost me nothing. So that's that's actually really good. Uh, part of why I'm so. So there's the hopeful, the optimistic part of me that hopes it's just the drive um, uh, because in my circumstance that that's actually a good thing. Uh, 
But part of why I think it might be the drive is the, this drive has had an interesting history. It, it came to me via, uh, it was like part of a, a raid thing that I was testing. And it was, so it, I'm not exactly sure of, of, of this drive's history. Let's, let's put it that way. So uh, it may not be, it, 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 who knows where this drive has been. We'll just leave it at that. So I, I wouldn't, if it, even if it is the drive, like I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to point fingers and say SanDisk drives are bad. They're, I, they're actually quite, quite good from what I've experienced. This, this one's just had a, a, a rough start in life. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'll keep you guys posted though, because it's what we do. Um, but I'm looking forward to putting this Samsung in here and really giving that a, a, a workout. So this is a good excuse to, <laughs> to pull that, to, to have to pull this iMac apart again. The problem is I don't have my, uh, my, my chief uh, assistant uh, for the next three weeks. Cause that's usually my son. He's awesome at helping me take these machines apart. So I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I might have to enlist someone else. Maybe you got to come up and visit John. <laughs> All right. To work uh, on your stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There might yeah. be some parts missing, but yeah, sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> After I'm done. After you're done. That's it. You, you made it more efficient. If you can make it run well with less parts, who's to say that's bad? Right. All right. Speaking of uh, your machine running well, let's let Michael ask the next question. Hey, John and Dave. This is Michael calling from New York City. Uh, question to uh, the two of you about uh, iStep menu. Not that it doesn't do a great job, but that I wonder sometimes if it makes me worry needlessly. Uh, I Yesterday, I had a MacBook Pro 15-inch uh, from 2007 that has served me pretty well. Oh, it served me very well, obviously. Uh, started to have some issues the last week. Uh, so, but the point being that I had iStat Pro and I'm monitoring my four gigs of RAM that I have installed on that machine. And it, it always, especially since I got to like Lion and Mountain Lion, and then I tried Mavericks, God, you know, God forgive me. It just seemed to eat up memory. And it was, it was a sluggish machine, uh, despite that. Uh, not despite, I'm sorry, my cat is screaming at me. All of it us. was a sluggish machine. Today, I bought a brand new MacBook Pro 13-inch, 8 gigs of RAM, uh, kind of the baseline, 2, 4 gigahertz, installed iStat menu, and it looks like it's eaten, my RAM is getting eaten up. And I wonder, do I just shut that off and not look at it? Is something going on? And uh, obviously, the machine works very well because it's, uh, you know, 10 hours, or 5 hours old. But, you know, what is, how much of that is something I need to really know and keep an eye on and how much of it is just, don't worry about it. It's the, the, the you know, the man behind the curtain. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. Uh, so we will pull the curtain aside a little bit. Uh, iStat Menus shows free RAM in two different ways. And I find one of them very informative and very good to watch. And the other... Uh, not helpful at all for, for my purposes. Anyway, if you go into iStat menus uh, and we're talking about iStat menus four, which I, I realize has been out for probably well over, well over a year now, but 
uh, if you're not running four, then this, you'll find this in a different spot and you should go get four anyway. So, uh, but in, uh, it, you launch the app, go into the memory, uh, tab where you configure the memory section where you configure how you want memory to display. And there's a checkbox there that says show inactive as free, uh, or show inactive memory as free memory. You don't want that checked. And the reason is, uh, OS 10 will do its darndest to, uh, fill things up and, and it's not overly helpful. Uh, if you see, um, if it, for me, it's not helpful to see things, as free that aren't actually free because OS 10 manages memory differently. Uh, my experience is that if my free memory, truly my free memory gets below about a hundred megabytes, uh, 50 is really the number 50 megabytes. But if I see it below a hundred, I know I'm getting close. If it gets below 50 megabytes, it, I'm, I'm doing something that is causing significant Ram usage. Uh, otherwise it's going to sit anywhere between about a hundred and, and a thousand. Uh, and this is, you know, on my machines that have six gigs of Ram, it's on my machines that have 12 gigs of Ram, you, you know, it, uh, but if you see that free memory number drop into the double digits, true free memory, not, uh, inactive plus free equals free memory, then, then yeah, it is good to watch and you should obsess over it because when you see your free memory dip down that low, it means that your Mac doesn't have enough memory to do what you're doing and will be moving into swap and all that. Now your, your new machine probably has an SSD. So moving into swap isn't quite the disaster uh, performance wise that it used to be, but it's also just in general, not a good thing. If you're constantly moving into swap, uh, you know, you might need more Ram or, uh, um, or, or just need to quit some apps. So, so yeah, I think, I think it is helpful. I mean, it, listen, iStat menus is, is, you know, OCD paradise, right? You can, you can totally freak out over, uh, all that stuff. And I often do, but, but in this instance, it's actually quite helpful. So, you know, that's my thoughts on it, John. How about you? I want to, I want to try to figure out what was, was there a concern about the, how much memory iStat menus or processor it was taking? That's not how I heard his question. He was more about what it's reporting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I thought he was suggesting that me, you know, should I be running it because, you know, it takes up memory or processor? No. And, you know, as far as I can see, it takes up very little. If, it, yeah. if it's taking up any, then yeah, then something's wrong. No, I think, I think what he was asking was, you know, should I even have that part of it turned on or am I going to wind up obsessing about something that doesn't matter? And, and, and the answer is no, it, it does matter. Yeah, it does. And I'm with you and I, I'm still using memory keeper and on both of my machines, as long as it's about, a gigabyte, which I find normal um, in the, you know, whether it be Mavericks or uh, mountain lion uh, managing the memory, they seem to do a pretty good job. Yeah. And I'm yeah. with you when, and, and it shows, so I have it in my menu bar and when it shows, I mean, typically I think it shows if you have less than 10% free memory, then it goes red. And that's probably a sign that, yeah, something's not quite right at the moment. And, and if it, you know, gets worse then yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Uh, you know what I want to do, John? I want to talk about Drobo. I'm excited. Uh, Drobo is our first sponsor today. And they, uh, well, they've been in business a long time. They, the, the folks who started things over there are back and have been back for about a year now. So the products that we're seeing coming out uh, from them are, are lead and uh, uh, 
generated by the new management, which is a good, a very, very good thing. Um, Jeff Barrell and, and uh, Mark Fuccio and the, and the, and Jim Sherrod and the whole team there, those, those folks know what they're doing. So uh, today we get to talk about the new third generation Drobo, which is a direct attached device. Um, it's USB three, right? So uh, you get super speeds out of the thing. And just in general, uh, it is somewhere between three and five times faster than the previous direct attached Drobos. Uh, I mean, this, you know, it's been a while since we've seen a, a, a direct attached Drobo come out. The, uh, you know, the Gen true Gen two Drobo was, I mean, I think it's eight years old. Right. Uh, but, uh, but this one, it's got new, new guts in it, new smarts, which help make it faster. It's got a dual core processor in there, which seems crazy to, to need in a, uh, an attached drive unit, but it is the right thing because what a Drobo does is you put discs into it. It is a four bay unit. You take SATA discs and put them in there and it will do two things with those discs. Number one, it compiles all of them together. They don't all have to be the same size. You don't even have to think about that. You just put the discs in, it compiles them all together into one volume that it shows to your Mac. And then, uh, it also uses one of those drives as fault tolerance, which means if any drive fails, you can take it out and replace it and you won't lose any of your data, which is cool. I mean, it's super cool. And it's it, 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 these direct attached drobos. That's it's that easy to set up. You plug it in and you run some software to manage it. But but that's it. You, you know, the, the management is is trivial at that point. It, it just kind of set it up and then you go. And if you need to put this in, you just put a disc in. Uh, so it's great. If you've got some extra SATA drives lying around, you don't have to use all four bays at once. I recommend using at least two of them so that you get some fault tolerance with using three. Now you start to get some real storage options because one of the discs is always going to be reserved for fault tolerance and, and all of that. Uh, but, uh, but you don't have to use four and, and you can just put in whatever drives you've got. And then as you need more space, you take out the smallest one and put in a, a you know, one that's larger than that. And now you have more space. And it's cool. Uh, you can go actually on their site. They have a, a capacity calculator that you can go to the site and say, here's the drives I have. And I'm going to put them in a four bay Drobo unit and it will calculate how much storage you'll get out of that, including the deduction that it's going to make for the uh, for the fault tolerance so that you can you can lose a drive and still keep going. So really, really cool. Um, you can also turn on two disc fault tolerance in, in the third gen Drobo. Obviously you get less space out of that, but you, you get, you know, far more reliability, uh, or far more fault tolerance, right? You can lose two discs at once and still keep going. I use, I run mine on one. I, I, I'm, I, I live on the edge, I guess, but, uh, but it works. It's good. So, uh, so this is cool. This is, uh, it's a, it's a cool thing. They, they've actually optimized it for us Mac users with time machine. Now, even though it's a direct attached unit, you can create a separate disk volume to use with time machine. And the beauty is you can set a maximum size for that volume so that time machine doesn't eat up the entirety of the space on your Drobo, which it would otherwise, if you pointed time machine to this, so you can set how much space you want time machine to take up. And then you point time machine at that separate store and off you go. Um, you can also use that dedicated volume, 
uh, for creating an, an encrypted drive using OS X's disk utility, right? So if you want to store encrypted stuff, you can do that now. The Drobo supports that now. Uh, it's great stuff. I, I highly recommend checking it out. And, and the cool thing is this Gen 3 Drobo, because it's USB, you know, they're not, you're not paying the firewire, you're not paying the firewire tax, which wasn't much, but you're not paying the, uh, the Thunderbolt tax, which is a huge deal, both for the port and the cable you'd have to buy because it's just USB three. Uh, they sell this thing for three forty nine, So you get a four bay unit empty for three forty nine. You can buy it from them with discs too, but you probably have some extra discs laying around that you can use to populate this thing. So three forty nine, And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, MGG five zero MGG 50 is the coupon code that gets you 50 bucks off. So you can buy this thing for two 99 from drobostore.com. So check it out. Drobo.com will get you there. You can learn all about it. Drobostore.com is where you buy it. And your coupon code is M G G five zero. So check it out and, uh, and let them know you heard about it here. We, uh, we appreciate it. And so do they again, drobo.com M G G five zero is the coupon code. Get your 50 bucks off. All right. John, let's go to Bob, shall we? Indeed. Mr. Bob, it's a good question. Bob says, uh, back in the days of Leopard and Snow Leopard, I used to be able to provide remote desktop type support to my friends and relatives by acquiring an AIM account and using iChat to switch to a remote desktop type connection. For the past couple of years, I haven't had to do this, but now I do. I really don't get how to do this now with Mavericks and messages. Further complicating this for me is that the person I need to be able to connect with has a Mac mini. So no mic or video camera. I'd prefer to use the built-in Apple tools to do this rather than something like log me in uh, back to my Mac. Isn't practical as we're not sharing an Apple ID, any thoughts that might be helpful. So I have two thoughts for you. Number one is you can still do it through AIM, but the weird part is that's not obvious at all. You go into the messages app and you see, if you go to the menus, you will see that uh, one of the items is grayed out. It says share my screen or something. I'm going to launch the messages app because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm living on the edge here, John. What's that? Don't do it, man. Yeah, I just did it. So hopefully we, we don't lose uh, containment here, but you can say share my screen in the buddies menu is share my screen and ask to share remote screen. And so I go and highlight John F. Braun because I sent you an iMessage earlier today, right? And I go to the buddies list and it's grayed out. Why is it grayed out, right? Why is share my screen with John F. Braun and ask to share my screen with John F. Braun grayed out? It's crazy. Even invite to video chat and invite to audio chat are grayed out here. And the reason is this doesn't work with contacts with whom you have iMessage connections. It only works with contacts that you have AIM, AOL instant messenger connections. And you can add those to the messages app. Go to messages, preferences, accounts, add an AIM account here, log into AIM. And then the person that you're talking to has to also have an AIM account. And then once you, once you're there, then all those options light up and everything's golden. Uh, very confusing. Took Guy Searle and I probably a half hour to figure that out. And we were determined. That's the only reason we're too like stubborn. Well, you know, we're bullheaded guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so that's, that's, so you still can do it that way. And it works totally fine in Mavericks. I haven't tried it in Yosemite, but, um, but it works totally fine. So that's, that's option number one. Uh, the other option would be team viewer that I can think of, uh, probably mm -hmm. easier, maybe, I don't know, uh, but it's free for what you're doing here. So that would, that would be the other way, John. 
How about Skype? Uh, Skype will let you see the other person's screen. It won't let you control it, but it'll let you see it. Sure. I thought I've done control because I'm no. looking here. Where is it? Let me see. Uh, contacts, conversations. No, not what? in this version. Now, I'm in, certain I, I've done remote control with Skype. No, you might. You, it, you, you can't. Skype has, to my knowledge, never done remote control. Um, so. Team Viewer does, and AIM does. So there you go. Yeah, you probably saw I invited you. I'm running uh, messages actually on this machine here, and I invited you to. Uh, yeah, but I'm not logged machine. into AIM so. on this machine. I'm logged into AIM downstairs, so that's why I didn't get the invite. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. crazy. And I'm with you, Team Team Viewer, especially in light of a lot of the other services now rolling back, like LogMeIn and some others, are saying, "Now nah, we're not offering the free thing anymore." I think Team Viewer is the best uh, and you know it's not just mac it's windows i think it's linux portable devices um and as long as you're doing it for non-commercial um i think it's really the best thing out there for now i think i think i would i would agree with that yeah yeah so crazy stuff i, I don't know why apple buries that or you know it, it seems like a perfect opportunity for apple to offer like a little walkthrough like you know uh, highlight why do you, why is this grayed out it's it, it, it's not obvious, but maybe they don't care. What yeah, is, I mean, uh, some of the people in the peanut gallery here, otherwise known as the uh, uh, <laughs> chat room. Yep, I say that in an honor. I know you honorable do. way. Yeah. but uh, other people were suggesting, and this certainly is an option. So you can certainly do screen sharing. Um, you know, it was suggested back to my Mac is a way to do that, but with back to my Mac to do the screen sharing, you have to be under one account. Right. Now you could, if you have an airport, um, airport extreme, you, you can, and, and maybe manage it with OS 10 server, but you can set up and manage this sort of access between Macs. Every Mac has the ability. Oh, John, how did I lose John? Seriously, I'm not even spiking my CPU or anything. I wonder if John's actually there. Well, I'm going to pause the recording here while we, while we get John back. How's that sound? All right. So I, I, I've, uh, we're going to try something here. This might be a little crazy. So John is, um, John is relaunching Skype. Uh, say hi, John. Hi, John. Yeah. Right. So John is on FaceTime audio, uh, via my iPhone at the moment. Because, uh, and I'm not wired in or anything. I could, I could wire him in and make it sound way better, but, uh, hopefully that, that doesn't have to happen. He, um, his Skype for whatever reason just went offline and, and then you tried to quit it and it wouldn't quit. Have you, have you been able to quit John? Uh, I relaunched it. I see the window. Okay. It shows me offline. That's not so good. Skype menu. Yeah. There's a check mark. Next to online. Yeah. So this is interesting. I thought I thought maybe uh, I thought this would would be interesting because we would get you back online quickly. But um, I'm I'm guessing you're going to need to Skype from Piazza. Did Skype quit? Okay, this time. No, I had to. Uh, dude, if you have to keep force quitting it, I don't think it's going to work. I think you, you may have a reboot in your future, but let's see. 
Let's see what happens. Hey, that's a good that's a good sign. Hope startup sign. Yeah. This is it. This is in application not responding for quit mode. And if I try to call you on Skype, it does not ring, right? No. Reboot. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna repause the recording because you folks certainly don't need to wait through a reboot. But we will uh, we will be right back sooner for you than for us. So John John's computer is still uh, rebooting and he's getting Skype set up. But we did something cool. Say hi, John. Hi, John. Yeah. So you're on speakerphone on your iPhone with FaceTime audio, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've. I've got John wired into the board. Uh, I don't have you running through any compression or, or, or special preamps or anything at the moment. So it's not, it, we could actually make it sound even better than we have it. Uh, if we, if we needed to, hopefully we don't need to, because hopefully your Skype connection is about to come back up and you'll actually be talking into a microphone with a much larger diaphragm. But I am curious, John, if you would to switch from speakerphone to your regular um, thing and see if, see if you sound any different to those of us uh, listening to you on this end. What? Do you see me? Are, are you on? Uh, did you did you try our experiment here, John? Well, I'm trying to get Skype working here. And it's, uh... Yeah, I see you, uh, but I always see you on Skype. For some reason, you're always showing as online. Okay. Yeah, try to call me. Uh, all right, we'll try that. Is Skype ringing on your end? No. No, I didn't think it would be. So you have you have some uh, some issue. We I think we're gonna I think we're gonna need to do the rest of the show this way. Uh no. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if we can't get Skype to work, then yeah. We can but we can do FaceTime audio with your Mac. There's no reason we couldn't do that. Shall we try that? I don't get it. One more. Hold on. All right, we're going to let you try this one more time, and then and then we're just going to have your Mac use FaceTime audio. We'll pause again for the recording, but I figured you folks would, would be curious to hear uh, some of this because this is actually kind of cool. I, I've got uh, I've got John wired in that way. I mean, I could FaceTime audio from my Mac too, which is what I'll do. If we need to do it that way, um, but it requires quite a bit of changing around. So, what do you got there, John? Anything? Are you kidding me? I guess not. I'm going to pause this while while John uh, disengages. But we'll be back again. All right, we are back, and John, I think you're back on Skype on your good microphone. Uh, it would seem that way. Hey, there you are. That's awesome. Yeah, for whatever reason, uh, it, it could have been a spontaneous Ethernet port failure. Yeah, so I'm no one knows, it. no one in the show knows what you're talking about yet. Um, all right, because so I what stopped I'm talking recording. About is I all of a sudden lost connection, and then we're trying to figure out. Well, why can't I see? Yeah, they, they heard. They, you know what? Let me let me catch them up because 
you catch them up. Please. Yeah, because I know when I paused and when I didn't. So obviously John's back. He's no longer on FaceTime audio via the iPhone, although that was cool. And I took a picture of the, the jury rig setup that we uh, that we did plugging my iPhone into the board. Uh, but it uh, a couple of reboots didn't solve it. Uh, you the final solution was that we found out your computer was offline and switching to Wi-Fi from Ethernet gets you online and now you're good to go. Yeah, and part of it is, uh, for whatever reason, when I was connected to Ethernet, even though the light on my switch was green, which indicates, yes, everything should be okay, I was getting a 169 uh, IP address, which means DHCP failed. So, so it, rebooting a couple times. And, and it, it wasn't just DHCP. a different port on the switch. Um, it was like, well, that that's, uh, to me, that was the clue that something right. is... is quite wrong right and that on my local network i never get a 169 because right. it, it's my local network so i'll figure it out later yeah That's no well my guess is that you either have a bad switch uh or a bad port on your whatever your switch is using right because you've got an ethernet cable from your computer to the switch and then a cable from the switch to the uh to your base station right right the thing is everything else on the switch so all my other so my airport extreme is plugged into the switch or the switch is plugged into it, but all my other network devices, which are working fine, um, are all on that switch as well. So I don't think the switch is bad. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to get to any of my other devices on the network. And you can see like your disc station and all the other stuff, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. So switch is working fine in theory. Um, the, uh, the, so it could be, could be the ethernet port on your Mac. Uh, or on the mini correct, on the mini or the cable or hopefully the cable. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Huh. That's interesting. Right. So um, this reminds me, we're going to jump or I don't know where we were. Um, we're going to jump around a little bit here. Uh, we were talking about remote access and how I was waxing poetic. And then I think I got cut off. So I'm not sure where I got cut off, but I was saying that another solution could be enabling screen sharing on your local network. Um, and then you'd have to VPN to in though. the airport. Right. But if you're doing it remotely, then it's not impossible. And, and the airport um, does offer you a way to make this a little easier and that you tell it, okay, I want to do screen sharing and please map from this IP address to that IP address. It, it gets kind of geeky though. Team viewer is um, way easier. I, I, I totally agree, but, um, and it's free. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. So there's no reason unless team viewer doesn't work. Right. Right. So John, <laughs> you're but just you, want to note that Apple has it built in. Your network problems, uh, reminded me of, of something and it, 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 it was, I don't know if we're going to get to the question or not, but I, I ran into a weird thing on my local network here. Um, I happened I, I have I have all kinds of switches because I've got, you know, the network between the house and the office. And, and so there's things everywhere. And when I have a problem, it sort of sucks because I have to like, you know, step by step trace through as we all do. But I, I have too many steps. But uh, the, the iMac in the house was working fine. Right. You get on the Internet. It could do everything. No problem. I had something else going on with a different machine. Oh, I wanted to test the speed of the uh, USB three port with the bare extender turbo plugged into it in my 802.11 AC. So I set up iPerf and uh, I figured I'll use the, uh, the iMac in the house as the, as the iPerf server. Cause it's etherneted in. And so it's always reliable and all that stuff. And I could I could send data to it at whatever the maximum speed was. And I, I think I was getting somewhere in the, 
I don't even want to say what it was, but it, it was, mm, I don't I forget. I've, I've got it written down somewhere, but you know, whatever it was, it was, it was a hundred, you know, many, many hundreds of megabytes and it was, it was doing well. And it was like, okay, cool. You know, it was like three, 400 megabytes, I think a second. So it was great. I could send data to it at that speed, getting data from it. I was getting literally one to two megabytes a second. Like what is going on? So I tested it with the iMac in the studio and then in both directions, I was getting hundreds of megabytes. This is weird. Uh, I did all kinds of testing backwards and forwards. The switch that I had in my house uh, by the iMac had, you'd plug it in, it would show gigabit lights or hundred megabit lights, depending on what device was plugged in and what it should show. Uh, Sending data out from any of those devices uh, was fine. Oh, no. Sending, receiving data into any of those devices was fine. Sending data out from any of those devices that were plugged into the switch was limited to uh, two megabytes a second. So plug them, any of them into a different switch. No problem. So ordered a new switch, threw away the old switch, plugged in the new switch. All is better. Bizarre way for a switch to fail. So, you know, green lights and even even passing data. Fine. No problem. DHCP, no problem. And I could back up. It just took, you know, forever because, and I didn't realize it. I, you know, it was like, it was fine. So it's one of these weird things. I don't, I don't I uh, think there was something else going on because the thing is, so, so I just looked at my for other me? devices, Dave. Oh, you're talking about for you. No. Okay. No, I'm not talking about it. No, I'm talking about, it's about me, Dave. Right. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Well, I was trying to figure this out and scratching my head because the only device that was failing was the Mac Mini. I just looked over uh, briefly because I usually have it next to me when I'm doing the show. It's got mm-hmm. a backup. Um, but I have my trusty MacBook Pro. And I just got some emails from Synology Notification System uh, saying, um, you know what? The connection to your your uh, your uh, device there uh, has been lost. Okay. So I suspect what I was seeing was a the... the uh, I know what it After is. After effects of a general uh, opt online failure. No, because your your other computer was on the whole time. We were testing it in the chat room. We knew your IP address. It was not an opt online failure. My guess is your Mac Mini is plugged into the same switch as your Synology, right? So your okay. Mac Mini and your Synology can currently see each other, but neither one of them can see your router and nor can see the internet uh, via Ethernet. And so my guess is that the connection between your switch and your router is the point of failure. Uh, I'll, I'll disagree with that. Okay. Well, the Synology detected a problem communicating with the internet. No, no, no. Reported Sy- that in an email. Synology detected a problem. It, it, those emails yes. come from Synology's servers, not from your disk station. I, I. So, so they had a problem communicating. They had not heard from your disk station, and so they send you an email saying your disk station right. is offline. All right, so why wouldn't you conclude that that's a general network problem? Because you're still having that problem with your Ethernet connection, despite the fact that via Wi-Fi, which comes from your router directly, we're talking just fine. Okay. Right? I, let me, here's here's a, a, a good I, test. I, 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 under, I, I totally understand your, your logic. I'm saying it could have been remnants of a general failure that is causing the Mini to still act up. No, because even if your internet connection goes down, dude, you're going to get a okay, DHCP I'm address. Right. I'm absolutely wrong to assume that <laughs> it was a uh, uh, Optima failure. Well, Are you okay with that? Well, yeah, because if you're... It's, if, not, it's not at all possible that there could have been a, a temporary disruption in my Optima connection. That's true. 
I believe I believe it, if there was, it was it's irrelevant because an opt online failure would not cause DHCP failure internal to your network. I I agree with you. Yeah. Well, no, I can't wait to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. My guess is that the connection. Well, a good way to test it is uh, your MacBook Pro is only connected via Wi-Fi, correct? Yes. Okay. okay. So your Mac mini has uh, uh, can, can your MacBook pro see your Synology disk station? Uh, as far as I can see, it's in the sidebar. Yes. Can you connect to it? This is, this is the test. This is how I deal with my network at home. Cause I have too many it of these says, things. It says connecting. Yeah. And it still says connecting. Aha. Still connecting? Yeah. Let's see if we try to connect to the mini. Nope. Mini came right up. Okay. Because it's over Wi-Fi. Uh, right. I mean, that's how we're talking, right? You're, you're connected via Skype yes. over Wi-Fi on the mini. So yeah, the mini would, it makes sense that the mini would be seeable, but, uh, I, yeah, you, I bet you've got a bad bad connection somehow between your switch and your router. Yeah, sounds reasonable. Yeah, yeah. But all the lights are green. I, I listen. I just threw away a, a switch. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it sucks, but it's how it works. What kind of switch is that? Is it gigabit or hundred megabit? Uh, it's a monoprice eight port. You know, it was like twenty five bucks. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's worked for for ages. Yeah, flawlessly. Listen, my cheap Netgear, I mean, they're, you know, these consumer grade gigabit switches are cheap and worth it. They work for a little while. I've been through a lot of them. I throw them out more than any other piece of hardware. I probably throw away one. Well, I replace one every year and I have three or four of them in my in my mix here. Uh, oftentimes I'm able to get a replacement from the, the vendor, you, you know, because it's in warranty mode or whatever. But I knew this one in the house was not, so I, I just threw it away, and I, I bought a new one. I, I got one from Amazon. I can't remember the brand name. Uh, I'll, I'll find it while we're talking here. But um, they're cheap, and 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 they don't always uh, they're fa they fail in weird ways. I've never had one fail the same as another. Although I've had bad ports happen on all of them, so I, I guess that's that's fair. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's what's going on. I I got the uh, uh makes me uh, sad. I got a TP Link. Ah uh, yes, good quality, well known brand. TP Link Gigabit Switch for twenty four bucks, eight ports. Sweet. Yeah, it's fine. You know. So that's uh, that's that. Somebody in the chat room was asking if this was pre-show. No, this is the middle of a very weird show is what this is, folks. Um, but that's, you know, that's how it works. So so I'll, I put a link in the show notes uh, for the uh, for that switch. If you if you want to buy it, the, the reason I bought it was it's um, it, like all of them. It's cheap and worth it. And, uh, and now it works fine. And I, and I assume it will fail. It's got a, I think that one's got a three year warranty. And, uh, so I'm hoping that the first time it fails is within the first three years. Um, I think, I don't know. 
It doesn't matter. Just they're cheap. You just throw them away. Okay. What else do we got to talk about here? Oh, Paul has uh, a great question. And so we will jump to Paul as soon as I can get my bearings here. It's a little, uh, it's been a little weird. Paul says, I have outgrown my two terabyte external hard drive and need to get a three terabyte or even better, a four terabyte drive. I can't seem to find one that doesn't need external power, however, which rather hampers portability. Do you know of a drive, ideally USB three, that is three to four terabytes and doesn't need to be connected to an external power source? I've got data in the cloud and on my Synology, but I like to carry an encrypted hard drive with me as well for instant access. So the problem is to get a drive to be bus powered. Uh, you typically, the buses are only going to be able to drive uh, drives that spin uh, that two and a half inch drives, like laptop size drives. Right. Uh, and typically over the bus, you're not going to find a three and a half to a full size drive. That's going to, that's uh, going to, that's going to be able to be bus powered. And the problem is we don't have any four terabyte laptop drives, at least none that I, I know of. So you can't put one in an enclosure that's going to be bus powerable because they don't exist. But Seagate solved this problem by putting two, two and a half inch, two terabyte drives in and striping them together. It's called the backup plus fast external Seagate backup plus fast external. Obviously we'll put a link in the show notes because it's how we roll uh, this drive. It, it, they, they stripe them together. I think you can change it and mirror them. So you've got two, two terabyte drives and you know, two terabytes of storage that's mirrored, but uh, out of the box, it comes striped, uh, which means that both drives are just concatenated together into one volume and, uh, and it's one little black box. I, you may not even be able to mirror it. I'm not sure. I, I, I seem to remember that you could, there was some way, maybe they, maybe they told me that, um, like kind of off the record. I don't know. Maybe they didn't, I forget, but, uh, but it gets going to out of the box for you, Paul, it's going to solve this problem. And what's cool is you get four terabytes and it's super fast. Um, I tested it again this morning when I got Paul's email, I was getting 220 megabyte a second reads and writes on USB three. So that's pretty screaming for uh you know for laptop sized drives that aren't ssds right and the thing is like uh it's like 260 bucks or something i mean it's not it's not you know exorbitantly priced there is one caveat i have though with this uh and it, it they solve this problem with the cable that they send with it but a a single usb cable is not enough to power this thing because there's two spindles in it the way they solve it is they ship you a Y cable one of, and, and so it's got one port that plugs into the drive and then it's got two USB cables on the other end of it. One of them is data and power. And the other, it says it on there is power only. And I actually tried this by powering it separately from the computer and it works totally fine, but you just plug both USB ports into your Mac and you can do this on a laptop as long as you've got two, two USB ports on it and you'll get enough power to this thing. I, everything I tried it on, it worked with. Um, but that's the caveat is you need to plug it in twice in order to get the power for both drives to spin, but it does make it portable. I mean, it is, you know, it's how it works. So fun, right, John? Absolutely, Dave. Yeah. Now you may be asking yourself, what do I ask? It sounds myself? like a common problem, Dave. It does. Now I know that, um, Paul did not ask about Thunderbolt. But if he did, Dave, yeah. what would I tell him? 
Well, we saw something similar, if you recall, and I actually uh, uh, penned a little ditty about this. Western Digital, when we were at Macworld, introduced okay. a portable Thunderbolt-powered dual-drive solution, which, guess mm. what? Mm. You can get up to four terabytes with it. Because you can manage... Well, they, they basically did kind of the same thing here. So, so they, they managed, I guess, to use uh, drives with low enough power requirements that they could put two of them in this enclosure, and it could be powered by the Thunderbolt port um, and as you were talking about so you can do um you know and I'll, I'll paste the link to the article here but no i thought it was kind of a big deal because um this is a problem with any technology is eventually you get to the point where you want you know more capacity than the the bus can uh supply but in this case uh, their drive does allow you to do this uh over thunderbolt so um and it does raid zero raid one um, the pricing that I had at the point in time, a two terabyte drive, two ninety nine, four terabyte, four twenty nine. So you'll yeah. pay for it. You pay, well, you're paying for the the Thunderbolt Premium as part of that. That's right. Yep. Right. Yep. And also that hey, you know, you can have four terabytes in a single drive, and it includes the cable in the drive, which is pretty spooky. right. That's true. That's a huge thing with Thunderbolt. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's like that Lassie Rugged, right? The 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 new one that has the Thunderbolt cable literally built into it. That thing's awesome. I like I like that thing, especially yeah. 500 gigs on an SSD. It's <clears throat> screaming. Cool. Cool. Terabytes, man. So what is coming next? I know we're going to petabytes, petabytes in a petabytes in your pocket. That's whoever uses that marketing marketing slogan. You know, they're the first ones, right? Petabytes in your pocket. Peta pocket. <laughs> the peta pocket. Trademark it now. That's right. Go get the domain quick. Does anybody peta own that domain? Pocket. Oh, it's petapocket.com. Now, is it going to be for it, pets or petabyte drives? It does not. Both? It does not exist. Petapocket.com. And I'm not going to register it. So there you go. That's our gift to you. You want to put a pet in your you. pocket, like maybe a Hector in your pocket? Come on. Dude, Hector's having some issues. She's laying now, too I many saw, eggs. Now, I saw Lisa said she, she was snuggling Hector the other day, which I, I don't usually yeah. associate the word snuggle and Hector D. Bird in the same sentence? No, most birds will snuggle. Hector's not one of them, but Hector has come around. She's gotten a lot too friendly, and I think the issue that's part of the issue is she started laying eggs. I think she's in love with somebody in the house. <laughs> Could be all of you. Yeah, no, I, well, I, I think guess it's... it'll be Lucas. You told me yeah, she it's has Lucas. the best relationship it's, with Lucas. Yeah. She's got, a, she's got a crush on Lucas? Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, but it's, I mean, you know... He's she, too old for her. Well, she's had a... She, he's also the wrong species, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's just well, nitpicking. Yeah. That's a judgment call. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> it, it, she, you know, she's 21 years old, and she... Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I she was, she was and younger. she had a, a really kind of rough start. There, she never really had... Uh, people that took really, she's a, she's a, a Hector's an African gray parrot. For those of you that don't know, she, she started life at working uh, at, at working. She was uh, at, at, uh, at she Ambrosia, but, but she, the people there, and I don't, I don't fault them entirely. Uh, but in, in, in the beginning, the people there didn't really understand what it was like to take care of a bird. And then uh, Magnus took over and, and brought her home. But Magnus, um, his whole goal, and he had her at home for a long time, like five or six years, I think. But his whole goal with her was to prep her and make her a, a, a bird that someone else would then want to have. It, that, this was really his thing. So when you tweeted a year ago, it was almost exactly a year ago, uh, that, you know, I should, we should adopt Hector. 
John was like, oh, finally, you know, here it's perfect match because I've groomed this bird to come home. And, and right. So um, she's never really had a family to and anyone to really dote on her and and hasn't really ever been uh, owned by a bird person. Lisa, you know, Lisa is a bird person. So Hector's gone through a lot of changes in the last year is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of them are things that would make a bird more comfortable. And so now after 21 years, you know, she's really comfortable and um, is perhaps a little too comfortable or maybe changes happen too quickly. And so she's laying more eggs than she should be and, and roosting on them and all that. But that this is the Mac geek app, right? So you can follow Hector D bird D B Y R D on, uh, on Twitter. And she I did. I, yeah. yeah, I put it in the room. Perfect. Awesome. All right. So um, let's, uh, we already talked about how an iMac could slow down the rest of the network, but I have one. I think it's time to talk. You know what it is time to do, John is talk about our second sponsor, which is Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash MGG is where you go to start your, uh, wonderful experience that you're going to have. Squarespace is a place where you can build and host a website. They've merged it into one. It's all web based. You can do it from any computer. Uh, you, you go in and you just pick a, a template. Uh, you, start, you can start with one of theirs and you can customize it as much or as little as you want. Every one of their templates is built and tested. They, they're crazy. They take like three months to build each one of these templates. Obviously, they have people working on more than one template simultaneously, so they're constantly releasing new ones. But they, they spend a lot of time. Every template is fully responsive, which what it means is you can load the page on any device and it will be the right size for that device. They don't change your name. You know, sometimes you see sites where it's like, you know, www.site.com. And then when you visit with a, your iPhone, you get redirected to m.site.com for mobile or whatever. And then it's stupid. You try to share a URL and it doesn't work because, you know, somebody on a desktop is getting it. They don't do that. They build responsive sites, which means the same page, the same code when you shrink it down or when it gets loaded on a device, say the size of your iPhone, it automatically reformats itself so that you get a, a good experience there. Uh, and the same page renders perfectly well on your desktop too. So every, every template they have is responsive and you just get to use these. It's just how it works as part of your, uh, as part of your plan with Squarespace and plans are cheap. They're eight bucks a month. If you sign up for a year and let's be honest, if you're going to go and sign up for a website, you might as well sign up for a year. You're not going to change web hosts all the time, right? So sign up for a year, get eight bucks. And then uh, here's where you really begin to save. You, you use the coupon code MGG and you save 10% on top of that, right? So it's, it, you know, you, you pretty big savings here and it's pretty cheap to, uh, to and, you, and you can constantly change your website. You can put a blog up where you publish to the blog. They've got an app for the iPhone where you can publish blog entries. I've done it. My DaveTheNerd.com blog is there. And if your site is there, Tell us, because what we're going to do is you tweet to us uh, at MacGeekGab. We're at Twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. Tweet to us that your site's on Squarespace, and please use the has hashtag Squarespace shout out. And then what we'll do is we'll take that and share it with everybody we know and uh, maybe get you some more visitors and more exposure for your for your website. So check it all out. They, they make it super easy to customize and really build a nice looking site very, very quickly. Squarespace shout out is the hashtag squarespace.com slash MGG is where you start. And yeah, I know I'm giving you three things, 
MGG is the most important one because that's the one that saves you 10% on your first order. Uh, you'll get a two week trial with them. Uh, but when it comes time to place that order, make sure you please use that coupon code MGG and then you're good to go. So uh, check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG gets you started. Enjoy. Uh, you're going to love it. I do. It's great. All right. With that, I want to go to Helma, John, because uh, yes, this, this, this couldn't pot. We had a little bit of a smackdown planned anyway. Not a smackdown, but we had. Well, you got smackdown. Uh, I remain. What's that? Victorious. Uh, I'm not sure. Victorious. I'm not sure that uh, we're going to no, see how this goes. We're having a spirited discussion, which uh, yeah. we'll, we'll let bleed out. Yeah, well, and, and it's related to what the problem that you had, right? Because your problem. You I have a problem. But you do have a problem with the connection between your switch and your base I think station. It's my problem. I think it's someone else's problem. Well, it depends on how you look at that. That's right. <laughs> do, do you have a guy that you pay to manage your network? If so, it's his problem. Uh, All right. Well, then it's my problem. Yeah, okay. Me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Don't pay me. Uh, yeah. Well, you do. You feed yourself. It comes don't out you? Of my pocket. Though. It does. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. It's not good. Okay. Helma writes. Uh, I've recently become a listener to your show. I, I'm having an issue with Safari that's been existing for a long time, and I'm at a loss as to where to start looking for causes. My problem is almost every web page I load in Safari, my main browser, stalls while loading. If you look at the blue bar in the menu bar progressing, it stops somewhere after the first 10 to 20 characters and either stays there forever or for a long time until it finally loads the page. Usually I press command R several times until it finally progresses past this point and the page loads fine. I'm using a retina MacBook pro eight gigs of Ram 2.6 gigahertz I seven. So not a lightweight machine certainly should be able to keep up with the demand. I have a broadband cable connection and my laptop is connected to my airport extreme through a gigabit ethernet switch using cat five E cables. So I don't think it's a Wi-Fi issue to complete the picture. The airport extreme is the only device connected to my cable modem uh, using double NAT because the switch can't mode this because uh, I can't switch the modem to bridge mode. Uh, at first I thought it was the wiring. So I've replaced all wired connections with cat five cables. No difference. Using Wi-Fi or wired makes no difference. It doesn't depend on the URL because it happens with too many and sometimes it's not consistent. I've removed all but the necessary browser plugins extensions, but no difference. I have several VPN configurations, both OS 10 and Cisco the setup that I need for work. I'm wondering if these are interfering, but I can't uninstall them. Uh, I don't have the VPN connections open all the time. They are usually closed. The problem happens regardless of whether I'm connected through the VPN or not. I can't really tell if it's browser based because I tend to open Chrome only if necessary. And if it's a cache thing, Chrome will surely load the page quicker because I've already tried it in Safari. It's not all websites. Okay. So this is where it started. Uh, and this is, it's a great question. We've, we've seen something similar to this before. And, uh, and then, and, and in a follow-up question, uh, Helma asked, uh, let me get this because I think it, it, uh, it gets interesting. It gets more interesting. Where is it? Where is the second email from Helma? What did I do? Uh, what is it? Why is the thing? Oh, they're right there. Okay. Uh, Helma asks in a second email, uh, while we're on the topic, does it help or hurt performance when both Ethernet and Wi-Fi are active? I sometimes forget to switch off Wi-Fi when I'm working at home. Okay. So um, my thought about this is that it will get to the second question later, but it, it's related to what you're doing here, John. So I wanted to make sure to bring mm-hmm. that up in the discussion. Uh, I'm, I am nearly certain that this is a DNS issue uh, 
because the first thing Safari does is does a lookup for the domain that you are connecting to. And it has to wait for the OS to return its answer before it can proceed. And then once it proceeds, it's fine. The OS is, is smart in that it, uh, if multiple things are looking for the same DNS address, uh, once it gets it back for one of them, it caches it and returns it for all of them, which is why refreshing the page doesn't reset the clock, right? If the DNS request is going to take 30 seconds and at the 20 second mark, you hit refresh in Safari, then the page loads in eight seconds as opposed to, you know, 30, but it's because the request was already in. So, uh, so this totally, uh, is, is, seems like a DNS thing and, my initial suggestion, like I said, we've heard back, we've been back and forth with Helma, but my initial thought whenever I hear this is change your DNS on your Mac and see what happens. And the one I always use, cause I can remember it is Google's DNS, which is 8.8.8.8. And sure enough, uh, Helma wrote back and said, things got a lot faster with, uh, using 8.8.8.8. And then the question is what to do from there. Helma is not a, in the U S. And so the question is, is Google DNS bad to use? Cause it, you know, you're still hopping across the pond and potentially slowing things down. My feeling about that is, well, if it's faster, it's faster. doesn't matter how close you are to what you think your best DNS is. Um, and John, you might, you, you seem to know, I, I, I always look to you cause you, you, you know, some website or some tool that tells you what your best DNS is to use. Right. So uh, that might, that might be a, that might be a thing. So that, that's my feeling is that this is, is a DNS issue but but john i i think you feel differently or is it is it the ethernet and wi-fi simultaneously enabled that that you feel uh, that you and i have well, no, to I'll, fight I'll, about i'll shake my fist about that later mm. but the first thing that i would Good. introduce here so all right so problem was presented my surfing is slow yes um evidence was presented which uh number one maybe a finger rag i'm not convinced that the data collection here was thorough enough because uh, what was said was, well, I used Safari most of the time. I tried Chrome a little bit and I tried Firefox a little bit and there didn't seem to be a big difference. Okay. So number one, I'm not, I'm not convinced enough data was collected to isolate it to a browser or a higher level mechanism, which is the direction that you take. And, and I don't blame you because that's, that, that's certainly a reasonable assumption to make. Sure. Um, but it also, I mean, we, we got an email back and, and, Helma said using, I, I understand that based okay. on, based on observations from, uh, that were taken from your suggestion, it appeared that things got better. So, and I can't argue with that. Now, sure. Whether what was done, uh, solved the root of the problem, uh, that remains to be seen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Being respectful. Okay. You know, a correlation, correlation is not causation. All right. You said to do this and things got better. Was that yeah, in in all likelihood, it certainly contributed. But no, I want I want to get uh, Wait, to, to the core to, of just the, to be fair, and I want to get I, I I want you to continue regardless of what I'm about to say here. But just right. to just to walk through this, there were three tests done after our advice, after my advice was given. Number one was Wi-Fi over uh, using the airport extremes, the routers DNS. Everything was very very slow. Presumably, the router is inheriting the provider's DNS, but we don't know what it, at, at this point, you and I certainly don't know what it's inheriting. Helma may or may not, uh, setting the computer's DNS manually again, over Wi-Fi to 8.8.8.8 pages load quickly, mm -hmm. setting the computer's DNS manually to the provider's address, which presumably is the same as what the airport extreme is getting, but we don't know, mm -hmm. uh, pages load very, very slowly. 
So that's that's where I feel like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I call this a okay. win. Yeah, Ding. sure. Right. You know, I don't no, know. Good. Yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> um, it's certainly the first place to look, but you think there might be a, a yeah. bigger fundamental issue. Well, I just want to mention some other things. So yeah, no, one, it's good because right? it this solution be isn't going to work for everybody. Right. right. So it seems to be a DNS issue. Yes. All right. Um, you know what? We, we talked about it before and I'll mention it now. Flush that DNS cache. Mm. Can't hurt. Yeah, that's good thinking. We've mentioned it before. So flushing the DNS cache, uh, and we just talked about it. We had a spirited discussion about caches, and caches can go wrong. And as far as I know, they're shared. So they're system-wide. That's That's right. Yep. Right. That's one solution. Another would be is that our friend Onyx has a number of options. So if you run Onyx and you go under the cleaning category, under the internet tab, guess what? There's a whole bunch of things there as well. There's DNS cache, browser cache, download cache browser and all sorts of other things those are system in some cases system-wide settings especially the dns and dns and browser cache so why the heck not clear out those caches as a lower level thing the other thing i would suggest is that if you notice a certain browser now at least in the case of safari now it's kind of extreme i don't think i don't think it'll hurt anything you know i don't think it will dave but if you're in safari and it's kind of acting up all right it may be a bit inconvenient but go to the safari menu and say reset safari that clears out all sorts of garbage that may be holding Safari back. Could uh, be. Mostly, you know, older caches. So, you know, try that. In various browsers, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure Chrome and, and Firefox have the same thing where you can kind of reset the browser. And, and that may help you as well. Now, as far as DNS um, to speed up your surfing, this is, you know, something rather dated here, but I believe it still works. You may have to, you may have to tweak some things in the, in the terminal, but at one point, uh, let me click on the link and see if it comes up here. Yes, NameBench. That's it. It's a, it is, it's a Google open source kind of DNS benchmarking utility. And supposedly, and, and looking at the screenshot here that I, that I see on their page, they are specific to a locale. So you can say, hey, or I think it, it'll even tell, you know, based on your IP address, you know, most programs can make a guess as where, you know, unless you try to mask your identity, which, you know, Hope you're not doing that or need to do that, but um, NameBench can say, "Oh, you know, like I, I see here the screenshot right now. It says, oh, you 'Oh, you're in Belgium.' Well, I'll you know try these DNS servers, and it does a little benchmark, and it tells you which ones are the fastest. A, a, a slow DNS uh, uh, improperly cached, um, or just a slow DNS that's overwhelmed can certainly because the thing is, when you're requesting information from a web page, it may look like one fluid operation. But when you think about it, a lot of times it's Oh, it's not. not just it's not just the text and the graphics, but each graphic probably requires a separate network socket or network connection. So you could conceivably, when you're loading a web page, you could conceivably have. Uh, I'm going to throw out a bet here, and I don't think it's too far off. You could have anywhere from fifty. How about fifty? How's fifty sound? Fifty sounds low. It's not. It's not. It's not a. a I was going to say fifty to hundred. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Time have fifty to hundred. Yeah. Network connections For, open, all sucking down data whether for one web page or style sheets or whatever right. from a single web server that's right now for, the other thing is that somebody yeah. could be limiting your number of allowed network connections and that could be your service provider that's another thing yeah probably now, it could be on your local we, machine but it could yeah. be your isp or it could be you know if you're on a public wi-fi they could be limiting sure. that because they have limited resources sure yep yep 
There's um, a lot of things here. I, I want to throw I want to throw one thing in because I I mentioned it because Helma mentioned it and I I I suspected this to be true. But uh, Alan Shitko in the chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream uh, pointed us to a URL where Google talks about where their DNS servers are actually located, and uh, they are all over the world. So you may very well be local to Google DNS. What I what I had told Helma to do was uh, from the the home location there go to the terminal and type trace root t-r-a-c-e-r-o-u-t-e all one word space then the the ip address 8.8.8.8 that will show you the hops that your computer needs to take to get data to and from that 8.8.8.8 and if you see things like new york and chicago show up well then you know that you're hopping across the ocean uh if you're not in the u.s but uh but i don't think helm is going to see that so uh so I think I think eight dot eight dot eight dot eight might actually be more local than we all certainly than than uh, than I thought initially. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes that explains kind of how Google DNS works. Their their goal is to make things faster. So uh, yeah, you know I know they're kind of evil some of the time too, but whatever. Uh, yeah, but they also got Akamai running on their back. Oh, a lot yeah. of people have uh, are running Akamai. So uh, yeah. yeah, so so if you type in an address, in all likelihood. It'll, it'll be redirected to something a little bit closer. Yeah. But NameBench is a good one because that will survey lots and lots of, of DNS servers and tell you which one to use. And once you figure it out, I know Helma was putting different DNS servers right into the name server, into the DNS uh, uh, section. Uh, if you go into system preferences network, pick your driver, your driver, your, um, what do we call it? Uh, hello. Country. The, uh, no, no, uh, your, your network connection, Wi-Fi or oh, Ethernet, right? Sure. And click advanced. You can get to DNS and you can put things in there. Uh, and that's a good place to put things to test because it's very easy to, to turn things on and turn things off. Well, once you find out what DNS server you want your whole network to use, the best thing to do is to go into your router and put it in there so that then every device on your network funnels that way. And it just makes it a better experience for everyone. So. And your router will also cache DNS queries. So if I request to, uh, you know, to go to www.macobserver.com and then John, you're here and you want to go there, the router will return that, uh, that IP to you without ever even asking, uh, as long as it's time to live is, is, you know, still within its cache period. So it's all good. It's all good. It gets crazy. Where's this show going? Oh, so Helma asked an important question. Is it okay to have ethernet and Wi-Fi enabled simultaneously? And uh, my answer to Helma was absolutely uh, it, it OS 10. It's got Unix at its core. It's totally fine with it. And uh, but the one thing you want to do is in system preferences in network uh, at the bottom of the list of all your different connections is a little gear. And you want to use set service order from that gear to tell your computer which connection to prioritize if it sees more than one active in theory you would want to prioritize Ethernet over Wi-Fi because, again, in most cases, Ethernet is faster uh, than Wi-Fi. But but your computer will route things just fine as long as you set that priority order fine. Uh, it it uh, it 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 works great. At least that's my feeling on it, John. But you took some issue with that, my friend. No, no, you're you're totally right. You're cool. No. <laughs> um. One way, uh, I certainly agree, one way to configure your system, and it's critical that you get the order right. 
And uh-huh. that's the, uh, the that's the part where I think I'll support you to a, a certain extent. But for example, the problem I had today, Dave, I would have never known it would have existed if I had multiple interfaces selected on my Mac Mini. Now you could argue that the problem never would have manifested itself if I had multiple interfaces selected on my Mac Mini. That, and that's a valid challenge. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think we would have lost our connection. The the Skype call, but, but I could have, but when I called you again, I think it would have just worked right. Cause you're on a different local IP. So, uh, you know, I think that call The thing is to me, I yeah. think your, your, your argument for enabling multiple interfaces is if, if one of them goes down, the other one should hopefully be selected at some point to give you as little an interruption in service as possible. I think yeah, it's just why. convenience. That's right. Yeah. 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 To me, I, I, so I have multiple locations defined in my network preferences and I have one called like in this case, Mac mini wired and Mac mini wireless. And mm. Each one only has a single interface enabled. So when, for whatever reason, my local interface totally rolled over and died, right? <laughs> there was no backup. But once I went to my network system preference and said, yeah, Hey, enable this profile, everything snapped right back sure and to be fair on this john why do you put yourself through this pain and you know it's just it's how it's how you roll it's how i roll but you know to to be fair on this imac i mean the only machines that i will leave ethernet and airport enabled simultaneously on are portables because it just it's just convenient right um on this imac here in in, uh, at my desk or the one in the office the one in the studio the one at the house all of them have Wi-Fi disabled because they're connected via Ethernet. I don't move them. There's no reason to have an extra radio on um, because it will, you know, I mean, it is going to connect to the Wi-Fi signal. And so there's there's that little interference, if you want to call it that, going on. So I don't mess with I don't do that there. But on, on portables, I definitely do. And it, it's it's not a problem. Usually. What I used to do, John, and this was, I think I'm, I don't know if I did it in OS nine, but I definitely did it in early builds of OS 10. I like my computers, you know, I liked my laptop to have a single IP address. And so I would set both of them to the same. I would set ethernet and uh, no, 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 it OS 10 totally worked. I would, I mean, if I looked in the console log, I would just have streams of IP address conflicts. Right. But it was awesome. And I, I could, um, I could start a, a download happening and unplug my ethernet cable and the download would continue because you know, it, it just, it, it, the router realized, Oh, that IP address is over here. And so it, it just sends the packets a different way. But um, I, I don't actually recommend that despite the fact that it worked flawlessly for me for, for years. So I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy, John. No, I like that. It, it's, it's pushing the limits. That's what we, because yeah, if I had to do it, I would have two distinct IP addresses, right? That's the right way. Yes. If, if you don't know this, whether it be on the internet as a whole or on your local network, you cannot have two devices with the same IP address without causing much grief. Yeah. And actually I've seen this happen in the past, especially in the days when I was learning the internets along with everybody else. And we were learning how to assign IP addresses. One is that you'd have some schmuck, on the network assign the same IP that someone else sure. had. And then there was shaking of fists. And sometimes you got an alert on one screen or the other saying, yeah, this, this person took your IP address and they yeah. had to talk to it and find out who it was and then, you know, beat the tar out of them or, or <laughs> yeah. 
Then yeah, we, they then deserved we came it. The DHCP, or actually, I still remember the award-winning goof someone made one time when we were all doing manual IP address assignment. Never make your IP the IP address of your computer the same IP address as the router. Oh, that can be fun though. <laughs> I saw someone do that one time because you had to manually type in the numbers, right? And the problem is they they, yeah, they you just switch their IP them. address yeah. and the IP address of the router. So all of a sudden, all the internet traffic. And the whole building was coming to this one person's computer yeah. and it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. You got it talking to. <laughs> this has been a little crazy. I'm glad we did the show today. Cause it other, if we didn't do it today, we would have meant skipping it. Uh, but network troubleshooting one Oh one. Well, yeah. I mean, we, you Perhaps. know, I'm, we got sandwiched the title. We got sandwiched it, by, it was forced on us. Well, we got sandwiched by my issue pre-show, which literally was solved like during the pre-show. And then your issue mid-show. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of troubleshooting going on here. This is good stuff. This is what we do. So next show is going to be Cool Stuff Found because, by golly, we deserve it, folks. We love Cool Stuff Found. You oh, do, too. Stack. Good. All the shows I've been to, man. Good, good. Put them in that. Put them in our list so that uh, I'll build an agenda when I come back. Yeah. I think I think the next show is on Sunday the something, whatever that day is. Sunday the 3rd? Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I'll build us. I'll build us a nice little agenda when I come Sweet. back. On, on you know what, Dave? If yeah. you have cool stuff found, yeah, or network troubleshooting yeah. questions, yeah, or tips, or answers, or cookies, or air conditioning, <laughs> feedback at right. You can email them. We didn't mention that to feedback at macgeekab.com. No, I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. Of course you did. I know. I also said 206-666-GEEK in a previous show, but I'll say it here again now because I just did. What's geek, John? Geek could also be translated to 4335, that's base 10. So, you know, this was, I, I mean, I, I had been looking forward to show 512 just because of the numbers, and I, 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 um... There were some things and that I wanted to be able to do for this show that timing-wise we weren't able to do. And I'm just going to leave it at that. We're not going to speculate as to what those things are because I'm hoping that we can do some of them uh, soon. But uh, I was looking forward to the show nonetheless, uh, even even though there, we, you know, we don't have a guest or, or anything special going on. But, it, you know, it's show 512. It's sort of a big deal. And then we get here, and as soon as I start doing things to prepare for this show, like rebooting this computer, and uh -huh. then we get into the show, it turned out to be kind of a curse, didn't it? Show 512. So I... You know what You know what it was, Dave? We got caught. No. What? Even better. You ready? Oh, I'm so... It was a hex. Oh! <laughs> That's so brilliant. I'm here all week, folks. Tip your waitress. Try, Try the veal. The veal. That's right. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right. We will see you on the flip side. I do want to thank Michael Johnston. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> Give me a minute here. This is good. This is good. All right. I want to thank Michael Johnston. Uh, he's the host of the iOS show uh, podcast, as, also, as well as the publisher of GetAppler.com. Uh, he is the one that usually converts the show to AAC. He's uh, he's he moved and and he's uh, got some classes and stuff. So yeah, I know show five eleven wasn't there. Hopefully show five twelve uh, won't curse, won't hex him like it did us. But uh, regardless, thank you, Michael, for all the work that you put into making that happen. 
Also want to thank uh, Matt and his team over at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. They uh, provide an awesome CDN service, which is uh, means that our files are hosted actually all over the world so that when you go to request Mac Geekab, it's coming from a server close to you and it's coming fast. So, uh, so that's what Cashfly does for us and for you, and they're awesome at it. They really know what they're doing. So check them out, cashfly.com. Podcast Marketplace includes, as I mentioned, Drobo, D-R-O-B-O.com, of course. Uh, coupon code MGG50. Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace shout out is the hashtag, and coupon code is MGG. Smile, of course. Bare Bones. Gazelle. I Fix It. Linda. And E3. These are great sponsors, folks. Tell them you love them. Tell them thank you from us. We'll tell them thank you. It's awesome. So normally I'd say don't get hexed, John, but what do you have to say? I guess the only other thing I can say, Dave, is don't get caught. Made up.